When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. That cold case you're listening to? Nasty stuff. But you know what else is a crime? Missing even a moment of whatever you're doing to go on a drink run. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered in under 60 minutes. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Welcome to Techno Roll, a special Let It Roll Maxi series discussing Simon Reynolds' book, Energy Flash, a journey through rave music and dance culture, hosted by Nate Wilcox and Ryan Harkness. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.PantheonPodcast.com. Today, Nate and Ryan discuss the evolution of trance in the second half of the 1990s. Psy trance, progressive trance, and Euro or uplifting trance. Email us at letterrollpodcast at gmail.com. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy. It's time to let it roll. Or should I say, techno roll? Because I'm your host, Nate Wilcox, and I've got my co-host, Ryan Harkness, right here. And we're continuing our discussion of Simon Reynolds' Energy Flash, a journey through rave music and dance culture. Today, we're talking about the chapter he called Transmission, the late 90s resurgence of trance. Reynolds cannot resist a bad pun, can he, Ryan? Ah, you know, uh with trance, it's hard to resist just in general, like every single compilation and half the artists are are, are, are using puns on the name trance. So I give him a pass on this one. <laughs> Fair enough. But he tried to give the whole genre a pass. You, you got to admit it, that he concluded the book and was more than happy to leave trance as, quote, a fad of the early 90s um, and not talk about the rapidly resurging trance scene of the late 90s until he had to when he did a later edition. Yeah, well, he opened up the uh, the revised edition by saying that he had made a mistake by kind of overlooking it so much. And then I feel like in this one here, once again, he falls into what I consider the the, the generalized problem whenever you're talking about trance history is that trans history doesn't seem to have like that strong backbone structure of a story like the like the history of house or the history of techno trance is just kind of a weird 
you know, over there in Germany, some things happened a little bit, you know, people in the UK kind of picked up on some of it. There, there's no like, you know, for three musketeers like you have with the Belleville three or, or something like that, that you can really like point to because there was a, a really kind of uh, nebulous blob of people doing it for five years before anybody else kind of came out and took it and ran with it. In the resurgence, but in the first explosion, I mean, they talk about Goa, but it's sort of like Ibiza on the small, you know, and then they will talk about the KLF and sometimes they'll mention that some of the KLF's tracks are the first trance track, but they don't really talk about the KLF as a trance artist per se. Reynolds will talk about Sven Veth and other German trance producers just to slander them <laughs> and trash them and you know then then this this 90s stuff he does talk about it um as a truly pan global style a sonic virus hatched in the early 90s among nomadic bohemians who gathered in goa india during the party season and brought it back to european clubs it was identifiable by its reliance on black light and fluorescent clothes and body paint because ultraviolet lamps were more portable into the jungle than lasers and strobes. So they had a whole different light show than the kind of acid house raves that you were getting in England in the early 90s. And we've talked about the first wave of trance, which he lumped in with intelligent techno and ambient. And even in our coverage of the Brewster and Broughton book, Last Night a DJ Saved Our Life, we talked about trance and Goa. A little bit too. I, did we even add like an extra chapter that they didn't have? Yeah, we basically yeah. created from 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 whole cloth an an entirely new trance chapter. So you can go back to season one and, and listen to that one. We were kind of tempted to almost do that with this chapter again, because uh, yeah, like you know, we're gonna delve into psytrance, and psytrance is the other kind of when you're looking at the history of it. It's it's such an interesting thing to look at and see that usually that kind of takes precedent over 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 everything else maybe even like the stuff that's hitting the charts and making uh making waves uh you know sales wise and cultural wise it's always the psytrance thing that gets going gets more attention because it's visually it's 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 weird and it's different and it's a whole you know new hippie thing so yeah reynolds makes no bones about his preference for psytrance and his disdain for um what were they calling the, the progressive trance and euro trance um, that was that was the big popular stuff? And really, that's the kind of sound I was hearing when I went to some raves in the late 90s. It would either be big beat or what I discovered later was progressive trance. And big, into the 2000s with DJ Tiesto and others, it becomes the sound of EDM, really. Yeah, I mean, uh, most of what people were hearing in clubs was a lot of progressive trance. And then, you know, uh, club trance or Euro trance is, is is what a lot of the, you know, DJ Sammy and uh, the Paul Van Dyke stuff. I used to call it uplifting trance or epic trance to kind of differentiate it from from the progressive stuff, which was a lot more static and, and not a, not as full of uh, vocals or or screaming synth lines and stuff like that. So there, there's a whole bunch of words that people were using at the time and it wasn't always being used correctly. So a lot of people are confused about all the, you know, the wide variety. There's like 50 different flavors, you know, and uh, everybody was calling everything different and different DJs were crossing genres, but being labeled as one. So it's a bit of a mess. Indeed. And in fact, we covered DJ Sasha and Digweed last time on the progressive house chapter and now they're kind of being lumped in under this progressive trance uh rubric as well so uh yeah i think you could argue all day about which episode would be 
would have made more sense. If I did over to do over again, maybe I'd put DJ Sasha in this week. But there's plenty to cover. And let's start with this um, side trance and this international scene that developed in the 90s. And Reynolds says that, quote, after a couple of years of faddish popularity, notice the cheap shot, in the early 90s, Trance return, returned underground, changed its name to Psychedelic Trance, and continued its transglobal diffusion. And then he talks about this quest for the next Goa, that like Goa India kind of got played out as more and more kids from around the world um, were going there. A lot of, especially Israeli kids, would, would muster out of the service, their mandatory service, and then go to Goa to kind of uh, clear their head after what they'd been through, um, you know, in the IDF. And, and it's very much sort of a reprise of, of these sort of 60s Vietnam veterans frying their mind on acid and dancing to the Grateful Dead. I mean, it's it's such a similar experience. But these sort of locusts is a harsh term, but these, these Trustafarians travel around the world. They go to Thailand, they go to Bali, Nepal, Byron Bray, Australia has, has a scene. Uh, the South Africa Rustlers Valley has some scenes. Some big raves, Venezuela, Mexico, Brazil, Sao Paulo, especially uh, Madagascar, Morocco. Um, you know, they're, they're traveling all over the world. And DAT tapes, which is a kind of digital cassette tape that was smaller than a regular cassette, and it recorded perfect digital sound. That was kind of unique to the trance scene because in Goa, you didn't want to carry a big box of records out in the jungle. So you'd take a little box of DAT tapes. But that meant you had these perfectly copyable like a regular cassette you copy it each generation is worse sounding degraded each time you make a copy with a dat tape each copy is just as good as the original so this stuff just spread like wildfire all over the world um and then he talks about the early goa sounds like juno reactor and green nuns of the revolution who he called maximalist to a fault you want to talk about those groups and producers a little bit yeah, well, I mean, uh, Juno Reactor has always been a little bit outside of the standards for 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 psytrance. Like, uh, like with any other dance genre, you end up getting some sounds that end up, uh, you know, being repeated over and over again. And Juno Reactor always kind of stood out on the side because they had a bit more of a of a world sound sound to them. But Green Nuns of the Revolution kind of invented what what my friends used to. Uh, derisively call like the uh, the squeaked fart sound of of, of psytrance goa where <laughs> everything just kind of sounds like like you're just pushing one out a bit too quickly i uh, see uh, the technical talk is is uh, <laughs> yeah that's why you come to me is you, you get to find out what trash was being talked back in the day <laughs> excellent excellent and and so but then he says late 90s trance plunged into a dark phase of minimalism and ab abstraction he talks about um Extreme, which are the Hamburg-based Psytrance gods. Uh, Voxbox out of Denmark. And then Hallucinogen, a UK producer, a.k.a. Simon Pos Posford or Posford? Widely, Posford, widely regarded as the best in the genre. So let's go ahead and hear uh, Hallucinogen's Snaky Shaker from 1997. And why did you pick this track? Oh, just because, uh, yeah, it's, uh, he's widely regarded as one of the best, and this is why he's, uh, you know, at its best, Psytrance is just like an oral storm of really weird, trippy sounds flying around your head, and that's that's what Hallucinogen, and later when he became Spongle, that's, that's, that's what he hit perfectly on the head. All right, so let's hear it. Hallucinogen, Snaky Shaker.
and that was hallucinogen snaky shaker from 1997 possibly an all-time peak of human culture um here uh, or at least a classic trance track who am i to, who am i to judge and then reynolds gets into this interesting riff where he compares it with drum and bass and even though the sounds are very different and the scenes were very different they have a lot in common which he says you know an emphasis a fascination with stereo spatial trickery i.e making the sounds move around the stereo speakers which can be totally amazing in, in a club with a great sound system or at a big rave with a, a really big sound system. And then he, then he has a line, it's sound engineering as a way to transform your obsessive compulsive disorder into an aesthetic and a career. So is that a fair assessment of trans producers and drum and bass producers? Um, I suppose it works. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, these, these guys are the ones that are going to spend so much time on, on just a simple snare or on a simple effect. So so definitely, definitely, this is this. These are the genres where people appreciate that kind of stuff the most. And why is that? Ah, I think just because maybe uh, when you're when you're kind of peeking on mushrooms or on acid, uh, just that that right amount of spatial uh, that that right amount of space put into the mix just creates a whole new level of enjoyment for the music. Exactly. And he also he also notes that a lot of psytrance raves were structured to include a, quote, dark music phase in the wee hours of the morning where things would get spooky and weird and, and scary and then shift to uplifting morning music at dawn. So um, classic rave dynamic, you know, you're partying all night and these these kind of drugs, E wears off a lot faster than than acid and mushrooms. So these kids are, are partying longer and harder than the eat the up um ravers in england he also talks about how the drum and bass sound effects synced with the powerful skunk weed that they like to smoke whereas the psytrance effect synced to dmt which is yet another hallucinogenic variant um a very intense one by the way magic mushrooms and lsd a lot of delay effects and a lot of filters explain what he talks what, what do they mean when they talk about filters because that comes up in trance all the time no, I mean, uh, yeah, if, if you've got a, if you, you know, my voice talking has a certain amount of bass on the bottom end and a, a whole lot of annoying uh, squeaky high end at the top. And if you get a filter in there, you can basically cut out the frequencies that you don't like. So you've got uh, filter sweeps that go through and they'll cut out the bass running through into the middle. And, and when you take those, uh, take those elements out, it creates like a, a very interesting whooshing uh, effect that's, uh, you know, I guess the simplest way, if you've never heard it, I'm sure most people have, but it's like dunking your head kind of underwater. And, and, and that's, that's the entire top end of everything being taken out. And, uh, and I mean, like there's bunch, a bunch of electronic genres that are, that are largely, largely built around the effective use of filter sweeps and, uh, and messing around with, uh, with, with filters. So. Yeah. It adds this kind of relentless quality to, to trance where, where it's building in ways that, are different than the normal ways that live musicians would build over time. You know, it's not just volume or it's not just intensity of, of playing or increasing frequency of notes. It's these filters are coming and going and being layered on. So, so it kind of just kind of builds and builds and builds more than you think is possible. And I guess it's not humanly possible. That's why you have to have the technology. And so then he, he deigns to discuss progressive trance. And we, we already mentioned DJ Sasha and Digweed, who Sasha was a superstar DJ in England and, and, you know, 
Uh, I, is it fair to say I had one foot in the progressive house camp and one foot in the progressive trance camp, or did we just put him in the wrong category last week? Uh, no, I mean, what basically happens is that uh, you have trance, like club trance, which is uh, very energetic and sometimes ridiculous, and many people turn their nose up at it. And then when you slow it down a bit and you take out some of the more, more overt uh, elements, then it becomes progressive trance. And then if you slow it down a little bit even more, and then you really, really kind of smooth out everything and just leave a leave like a bit of a chug, then that has, has devolved down to progressive house. So Sasha and Digweed, a lot of their first CDs, all the first Northern exposures and stuff like that, they were practically straight trance. And then over time, uh, they got more progressive, and so it was progressive trance. And then eventually, Sasha preferred to be just called progressive house, and, and or just progressive, so he could kind of, you know, dabble in both ends. And again, this comes back to the fact that at the time, nobody, uh, it, there was, it was, it was still a bit of an argument over what was what. And and in the end, it all just kind of people just started saying progressive in general because they didn't want to be like you. They didn't want to accidentally call it the wrong thing. But nobody knew at the same time. <laughs> I mean, we're just lost in, in darkness here, wallowing around in our ignorance. But it's not just Sasha and Digweed. Uh, he talks about uh, DJ Seb Fontaine, um, the producer's breeder and hybrid. He he cites that it was descended from artists, progressive house artists like Left Field and DJ Spooky that we talked about. Um, the labels, Gorilla, Hard Hands, and Cowboy, I'll get in there, I'll get a mention. Reynolds calls it trance without the cheesy emotionalism. Get it? Emotionalism. House purged, house purged of its gay disco roots. Techno stripped of black feel and jazzy tinges. So there's been this whitening of of the music and the scene. Um, you know, the this the stuff started in Chicago and Detroit with black kids making music on the cheap, and ten years later, it's very European, very British, very white. Um, and he calls it the ultimate big room music full of abstract whooshing sounds, blurry pulses and stereo panning effects, long tracks, long sets, long mixes. Also purged of any reference to the old hippie or punk scenes that pre were precursors of the acid house and um, crusty punk scenes. And so, you know, stripping it of all, all its roots, not just its black roots, but also its white countercultural roots. I think that's yeah, a fair it, it, yeah absolutely it definitely it definitely boiled everything down to uh to its primordial parts and it's not that it was all bad but uh it was just the kind of stuff that you could go to a club with a with a small like seven dollar mixed drink in your hand and not have to worry about you know spilling it while you were dancing to this or going to the bathroom and coming back because all the tracks were 12 minutes long you weren't going to miss anything it's uh yeah i mean to me it's a uh, it to me it's always seemed a bit more like background than uh, than anything too too revolutionary, but you know, obviously people people liked it. Otherwise, it wouldn't have carried the scene for like eight or nine years. Yeah, clearly, uh, massively popular stuff. And at the same time that you had the progressive trance scene in England, you had a Euro trance scene going on, which is fitting because trance was probably bigger in Berlin and Frankfurt than it was anywhere in the world in the early nineties. You know, England was contributing with KLF and others, like we mentioned, but still, in a a big Euro scene. And there's a second wave of Euro trance artists, people like Paul Van Dyke, Ferry Corsten, DJ Testo, Energy 52, Three Drives on a Vinyl. Um, yeah, talk about Ferry Corsten. He had two modest hits as Moon Man in 1996, but then hits it big as System F with Out of the Blue in 1998. Yeah, Ferry um, Corsten's one of these guys who has like 50 different 
uh, aliases, and he used to release just so many, so many things uh, under under different names. System F was his big one for a while, and then he just finally settled down and 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 basically just kept very coarsening because obviously that helps when you're DJing. That every all the hits that you're having actually have your name in it, so it helps when you're on the flyer. But Ferry Corsten was was one of the the biggest guys for me. Uh, all of my sets, I used to play maybe one or two Ferry Corsten tracks during them, and he he was really the the king of the hands in the air epic trance. Paul Van Dyke uh, was a bit of a predecessor, and and he definitely touched on some of these ideas and concepts. But but Ferry Corsten is the one that that perfected it, and he did it with uh, like a new uh, Juno synthesizer. Like it was, it was kind of a technology thing. The earlier, early '90s trance ha- had these ideas in them, but they just weren't able to, to create the same level of euphoria, or energy that the late '90s tracks did because the synthesizers just weren't there for it. But the the Roland JP8000 synthesizer uh, was was is just a, a monument. Uh, to to making the biggest most ecstasy induced gurns that you can that, that you could ever want. And so I'm gonna flip our songs around because I should have cued progressive trance before we started talking about Euro trance. We'll come back and play some progressive trance later. But right now we're gonna hear what you called a big old Euro trance anthem. This is um, the binary finary from 1998. This is the Paul Van Dyke remix. Why'd you pick this one? Ah, uh, because. Uh... Yeah, this this was this was the big anthem at the time that I was getting into all of it. Uh, it was play, being played everywhere. The Paul Van Dyke remix came out and made it even better. And so this is just a slice from 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 my own history of of what was going on. Kind of this was a Paul Van Dyke's Foreign Angel had been turned into a a commercial push for for the Love Parade. So it's a bit too mainstream. But Binary Finery 1998, I feel, is like your your mix between that that commercial element of Euro trance and then the underground sound that that everybody loved to dance to. All right, Binary Finery from 1998, the Paul Van Dyke remix. Paul Van Dyke's legendary uh, remix of Binary Finary, a track that shaped our own Ryan Harkness back in his younger days and made him a man and the DJ he is today. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, well, I mean, I've kind of let go of the, uh, the the trance sound a little bit. It's a bit it's a bit tired after after 15 years. I, I've moved on to other things. Now I say I don't play anything if unless it has like a, a Panamanian pan flute in the background. Nice, nice touch. Stick to your guns. And we should mention the Berlin Love Parade. We talked about it in the previous episode, but this was a big mass, mass event in the early 90s in Berlin. And did it keep going all the way through the 90s? Uh, yeah, it was basically going up until 2010 when they had their own uh, Travis Scott Astroworld disaster where uh, – uh, they they had basically designed uh, one of the one of the stage areas, 
you know, and it, it was it was supposed to hold about two hundred fifty thousand people, and a million people showed up to it, and uh, just over just over twenty people died. Five hundred people uh, were were injured. It was like all the people that they pulled out of this tunnel, which was the choke point that killed everybody. They all of their ribs were just completely crushed in. Horrible uh, story. Ouch. Yeah, that is terrible. So. Uh... Condolences to everybody lost and their loved ones. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about this stuff. This uh, Reynolds says that Eurotrance was packed with exactly the cheesy elements that progressives like DJ Sasha shunned. Anthemic chorus- choruses, crescendos, drum-rolling builds, beat-free breakdowns, heart-tugging refrains, the, quote, enchanted flutter of a lobotomized Philip Glass or the cuddly and cosmic feeling you'd get tripping with the Teletubbies. <laughs> it's funny that he calls it a lobotomized Philip Glass because I'd like to think that Philip Glass is more of the lobotomized trance sound, and there's nothing wrong with that, but definitely the way that Philip Glass is just uh, j- just the way he arpeggiates everything just down into, into the dirt, like he just rams it home for like 15 minutes, a simple one. It kind of reminds me of... Of of uh, brain damage or something like that. So. They called it minimalism for a reason, and and basically the whole principle was you can do all these atonal and arrhythmic things that modern composers had been messing with in the 20th century that nobody wanted to hear, but you can make it palatable if you just repeat simple parts of it over and over. And that's something like you know the other day I was watching a. a video on YouTube of how to make a trance track and somebody was talking about, you know, one of the keys, even if you dispense with music theory and your riff is not, you know, it's discordant, that the notes are not in the right key. If you just repeat it long enough, people will get used to it and like it. So I, I, I get the the thing and I agree with you that there's no reason to call them the lobotomized Philip Glass when Le- Philip Glass, you know, got as simple as you could possibly get all by himself. Um, let's see a couple other as we should mention, um, Armin Van Buren, and uh, t- I'm going to try to say DJ Tiesto's real name, Tij Verve, Vervest? Yeah, Tij Vervest. Tij Vervest. Okay, cool. So, um, and his remix of Silence, which was a pop track from the Canadian band Delirium, was a big hit. And then in 1999, Goriella, a collaboration of Ferry Corsten and DJ Tiesto, um, set the tone for the more anthemic trance that would dominate the Naughty's market. So yeah, DJ Tiesto, one of these names even I had heard of when I wasn't paying any attention to this stuff, it just becomes massiver and massiver through the late 90s and into the 2000s. Yeah, and, and the way that kind of happened um, kind of has to do, like, I mean, we're, t- we're, we're rolling into the age of the superstar DJ, and the great thing about guys like Tiesto and Ferry Corson and Armin Van Buren, they have these massive hits that have crossover success. People hear them, and it's unlike anything they've ever heard before. The, these sounds are big, and they're energetic. And if you're like a like a like a 16 year old kid or or like a 20 year old uh, like looking to go out and dance, you you kind of want to seek this stuff out. And and if if Armin Van Buren or Tiesto are in town. Uh, and you go to one of these events, you get to go dance to this music on a massive sound system with like a thousand other people. It's going to hit you in the right spot. So, you know, uh, the, the the great thing about this music is that it that that 
for 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 all the for all the hype about it, if you, if you went out and participated in the scene, you got exactly what you wanted from it. And in in combination with say the the resurgence of good ecstasy, which apparently was a thing around uh, 97, 98, it all just kind of came together to create another perfect storm, similar to the uh, to the summer of love that, that kicked off the acid house explosion in the UK. But this was just more more international. This was this was all over the place. Yeah, and Reynolds goes into this. He says that the the ecstasy black market dealers realized that they had adulterated their product to the point it just wasn't competitive in the marketplace anymore. And you had whole scenes like jungle and drum and bass that went back to powerful marijuana or uh, champagne and cocaine. And somebody, some black marketeer, um, made sure that there was a new generation of high-quality ecstasy in mass availability and cheaper than it had been in the early 90s. Um, and that was that job of my own experience. There was a period when ecstasy was legal in Texas in the, in the mid-80s. It was all over the place. Then it was illegal, still around, but you weren't getting what you'd gotten before when it was legal. Then it just kind of went away through the mid-90s. But then it came back in the late 90s. I definitely... Definitely remember it being handed around uh, the office. Um, yeah, apparently it's a, it was it was a big thing where where Dutch kids with uh, chemistry degrees got on it, kind of Breaking Bad style, and just started flooding the market with really pure stuff, and it was going all over the place. So uh, the, the these were true believers. I'm sure they were also uh, you know involved in the in in you know larger criminal structures. But when you get people who actually you know care about going out and having a good time they're gonna they're they're more likely to uh have a little bit more quality control yeah when they clean their beakers and uh, boil things to the right temperatures and things like that breaking bad's a perfect example the chemistry teacher who who brought some science to the art and craft of making illicit drugs but um yeah, Reynolds has a few more things to say about Eurotransit. It was sensuous and uplifting like house, but with banging rave energy. And the emotions corresponded to, quote, normal human feelings like longing, poignancy, tenderness, etc. You, you already mentioned Paul Van Dyke's For an Angel, a song he wrote for his girlfriend. So this kind of treacly trite stuff that people just love because it's jibes with most people's experience or many people's experience. Um, but he calls it the world's most loved form of techno, but also the most hated and despised. And there was a stereotype of trans fans as white, middle class and apolitical that it had refined out both the black gay elements of house and the hip hop reggae derived roughage of hardcore and uh, the hippie world changing spiritual exploration ethos of, of you know, go a trance and everything, and, and he calls it a corporate dance culture. And then it was matched by the rise of these super clubs. In the UK, you had things like Cream, you had Gatecrasher in Sheffield, the Ministry of Sound in London. Gatecrasher had t-shirts that sort of semi-ironically said, having it right off leisure wear, um, that they had this whole fashion scene that um, some writers were pretty taken with. Reynolds, of course, I think was too cool to um, be taken in, but I like this. Uh, wanted to read his description of their fashion that they blended elements of rave, 80s new romanticism, cyberpunk, and Ibiza's carnival esque fancy dress vibe. Gatecrasher kids were into high tech gadgets, flashing cyberdog t shirts, toy robots, and Teletubbies. Anything that's futuristic, shiny, and pleasing to the tripping eye. And I have to say, the first time I saw Teletubbies, I was like, the people who made this were on psychedelics, and this is for tripping. It, it, was a hugely popular British kids show in the 90s and went to London for my first honeymoon and 
yeah, immediately got the the subtext there. But let's hear from our sponsors, and when we come back, we'll take a turn to the international underground of psychedelic trance. And so, I guess before we leave the Eurotrance, we should we should um, allow Paul Van Dyke to respond to the charges of no soul. Um, I, I thought that was kind of heartfelt. Did you? Um, did that did that jibe with you? He was like, you know, just because I'm black doesn't mean I don't have a soul. I've got a soul. I've got feelings. Yeah, and the music I feel has soul, just not soul in the in the in, you know, for so many decades, soul has been attributed with funk, and I I understand that completely. And I'll tell you, like it was, you read through some of those chapters, uh, uh, or or some of the the paragraphs from Simon Reynolds talking about how you know trances for 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 middle class middle class white kids who don't care about anything and it stings and at the same time you know i'm a middle class white kid who didn't really care about anything so i guess he got it kind of on the nose but i mean my only response at this point is just not everything has to be you know for uh for for the for the the lower class not everything has to be completely uh, huge across the board, across all all racial divides. Uh, there was nothing wrong with uh, with with gay disco being a, a primarily gay or or black thing. Um, so I don't know. It, it made me think about it. It's one of those times where I had to kind of go back and 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 reconsider everything because my knee jerk reaction was to was to say Simon Reynolds was wrong and he's just not getting it. But you know, he did kind of peg me. Uh, and, and he pegged the people that I think about now enjoying the music still is that it is it is kind of a middle class thing and an optimistic thing. Like he has this quote, it says, listen to trance and you think of the glistening hygienic beauty of a modern unified Europe where parochial differences are slowly fading. The Europe of high speed trains, autobahns, the pedestrian only and pristine boulevards of city, city, city center shopping districts the noiseless moving walkways of airports. So yeah, this 90s time um, before 9-11, before the things that are going on in Eastern Europe now, before Donald Trump and Brexit and all this stuff, it was this very optimistic, very prosperous time before it was so obvious that climate change was barreling down on us and that our leaders were completely corrupt. It was pretty possible in the 90s to be optimistic and, and into um, the offerings of capitalism in a non-ironic way. So, and to a certain degree, it almost felt like we were. It, it felt at the time in the rave scene like to be apolitical was the thing to be because we were rejecting rejecting the system and we were outside of the system and we were trying not to be co-opted by the system. And I understand now that that's a that that's a function of, of uh, you know of of our own uh, position in culture that we can just say that politics don't matter because we can stand on the side and not not have our asses kicked by you know the cops or the politicians or whatever else like that i never had to worry when i was throwing raves about the about the cops doing anything sketchy to me because i was i i was a self-professed hey i'm i am a well-to-do middle-class white kid i can't just be disappeared yep our privilege um you know a lot of a lot of privilege on display and a lot of privilege being used but sometimes privilege is you know creates this space for cool things like these these innovative sounds that absolutely changed the world. I mean, they impacted music everywhere. Every scene had to respond to what was going on. I mean, even hip hop with like Outkast, Outkast massive wave of popularity around 2000 was when they absorbed uh, stuff that was going on in in the EDM scene and 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 you know, brought it to the hip hop world and and we'll talk more about the 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 in, the cross influences of hip hop on on the scene 
people like Timbaland and, and the Neptunes are having a big influence on the on the house and speed garage scenes at the same time. But trance is having an influence on on hip hop uh, at, at the same time. But let's let's get back to the psychedelic side trance as the genuine subculture. And Reynolds is really conflicted about this. Like I think it's easier for him to acknowledge that the kids at Gatecrash were doing something that was kind of cool, but it was still corporate and contained and didn't have any bigger implications. Whereas the side trance, he recognizes them as seekers, but then he dings them because they're wealthy and privileged and they're traveling all over the world and they're in these places like Goa and Bali and Nepal, but they're not of these places. And that he says, quote, trance and progressive flourish wherever the romance of streamlined, sterile moder modernity holds sway, everywhere from Hong Kong to Sao Paulo, the, quote, hip-educated crowd in whatever city always already knew the t tunes the DJs are spinning. It's interesting because, you know, Jungle was a scene where if you were not in London, if you weren't hearing it in the clubs, if you weren't hearing it on private radio, you could not hear it because they weren't putting the records out. When they And then when they did, they would come out as vinyl records. Whereas the side trance stuff is just zipping all over the world on dat tapes pretty close to real time. I mean, they already had the internet and were beginning to file share as well. So does that jive with your experience that it was a very globally interconnected scene? Uh, yes. And, and I mean, the one the one thing that that I found was was a bit of a, a, a bit lacking in explanation was while you had all this this jet setting international scene where people would would travel all over the place and go to Goa and and, and different places like that. You also had uh, a very crusty local scene uh, that was listening to the same stuff and, and, and looking the same and, and, and having the same side trance dreads and, and living kind of that granola hippie lifestyle. And these were, were, were basically the same kind of people as the Spiral Tribe people. They just like different kind of music. So it's funny how on one side you have the, the well-heeled people internationally traveling and doing it. On the other side, you have people that are like one step above uh, being travelers. Uh, and and they're just living as uh, anti-consumerist a life as as they can, and and using psytrance as a uh, as kind of like a, a calling card or or as like a, a rallying point, a meeting point for 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 people within the scene to all get together and party. So there's there's two kind of uh, two kind of sides to it because here here in Canada we have a, a really big psytrance scene, especially in Quebec, where, where they're a little bit more. Uh, a little bit more let go than 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 the English Ontario type people were a little bit more uptight than than, than the French. So the French have a really big side trance scene and is definitely not well healed. These are salt of the earth people who are once again looking to kind of step outside of of the current capitalist consumerist system as best that they can. And what's gone on in the side trance scene since you know Reynolds is riding around the turn of the millennium? What's gone in this gone on in that scene in the last twenty years? It's another parallel to drum and bass where because there's this hard uh, under underground group that will never leave because their love is true and they they're it's not surviving off the next big hit or the next collaboration with you know some pop star du jour. Uh, the the psytrance scene has stayed remarkably stable and 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 you know musically maybe a little bit too the same. There haven't been evolutions in the in in, in new psytrance sounds but that's that's because if if you evolve it too much i guess it's not really psytrance anymore there's certain it's kind of like drum and bass uh, you have to follow certain rules for it to be drum and bass i guess and psytrance is similar like that 
And what about the Euro trance and the superstar DJs? I mean, is somebody like Avicii, is he in the trance tradition or was he a whole different thing? Uh, I mean, this is where you get into, once again, going back to our, our conversation about what progressive house and progressive trance are. Dead Mouse is considered progressive house, even though Dead Mouse is, has a very trance sound. But because of this, this what's called the beat, beat, uh, the beat portification of music, there's a, a, the, one of the first big sites that sold DJ music, like proper high quality uh, music to DJs that uh, the, the money actually went back to the artist was a website called Beatport.com. And they had a very limited number of genres where they put music into it. And because, because of that, all this trance ended up in the progressive house section. And so everybody just ca started calling it progressive house. So Avicii is from the progressive, would be classified as progressive house, but there's obvious trance elements to it. So it, it, once again, this is this is where it gets back to how it's a little bit of a confusing mess because we didn't we didn't put 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 our put everything down like we should have at the time and locked it in. Even when you're calling it Eurotrance, people are going to be upset about that because Eurotrance to many people is more of that Hadaway, uh, too unlimited sound. While you know other people would say you have to call it uh, euphoric trance or uplifting trance. But again, it's you know. A hundred different people will say a hundred different things. So the language is a little bit in, inexact. It's a Tower of Babel. So let's hear our next track. This is um, Infected Mushroom, Return to the Sauce from 2017. Why did you pick this track? Uh, you know, just after talking about how Psytrance stays uh, largely the same over the years, Infected Mushroom is uh, one of the largest groups they've been around since since the late nineties. And, uh, but they crossed over, they, uh, they've made it into a lot of EDM lineups and stuff like that. And their music is taking elements of EDM and sucking it back into Psytrance. So I thought it would be fun. You know, we spend so much time in the mid nineties with dance music. I'm, I'm starting to enjoy picking tracks from after 2015 so people can hear these genres now as they're changing or morphing. All right, so Infected Mushroom, Return to the Sauce. Infected Mushroom with Return to the Sauce from 2017, so we can hear what's going on today. And Ryan, we have talked through my outline, so I'm, I'm pulled up the Beat Portal uh, History of Trance. Anything else we need to hit on this episode to let our readers be fully caught up with trance and side trance? I mean, once again, we we did a really good job of of going over the history of trance in the season one trance episode. So I, I definitely recommend it if people want uh, to hear. Us, us debate over what was the first trance track and 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 the history of trance as it went from uh, a bunch of people listening to industrial music into a, a, you know a, a bunch of people listening to kind of hands in the air ridiculous uh, synth lines then then the season one episode really does does a lot of justice to it because we we pulled out all the stops we said the, the, these books aren't covering trances maybe they should be and we we did all the research and we we put it into that one. Okay, excellent. Fair enough. So I guess we'll, we'll wrap it a little short this week. And next week, we'll be back to talk about Speed Garage uh, and 
let's see, what is the chapter called? Let me pull it up. Um, it is called Two Steps Beyond UK Garage and Two Step. So we'll talk about Two Step. And this is the beginning of the dreaded steps. Or I guess we already had Tech Step, but now we've got Two Step. Are we going down a road to Dubstep and Bro Step? You know, I don't think the book touches on that except in the last final chapter, which is such a such a fast like tsunami of of just like here's everything over the last twenty years goodbye. Like I think <laughs> I think I think it gets maybe a paragraph. So maybe that's something that we might have to to look into doing a you know, doing a little bit of extra research and 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 put making a special episode just for the dub for the dub step and the bro step that you love so much. All right. Cause because that's the sound that appealed to me. You know, I'm a bro. I like to step, everything like that. So for Ryan Harkness, I'm Nate Wilcox. We've been talking about Simon Reynolds' Energy Flash, a journey through rave music and dance culture. Thanks for listening. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Next week, Nate and Ryan will be back to discuss the sudden rise of Speed Garage and Two-Step in the late 90s London. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.pantheonpodcasts.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.